And so we've come to this final episode in our series, Ecclesia Symbol. And I want to say that maybe, possibly, this has been my favorite series of all time. And the only reason that I say that tentatively is that there's time yet to have my mind changed. I don't know what work God has planned in the very next series to change me completely. But this series has been very different for me. You know, ordinarily, when it comes to the close of a series, I have this hint of sadness, almost like I've just finished a, a good book and I'm gutted that the journey's over and I can't stand the finality of just closing the cover. But this time, I feel really excited. I, I feel expectant, more like I've just read volume one in a series of books and I can't wait to get my hands on volume two. As I reflect on the spiritual investment that God has injected into us as a church in this season, and for me, I'm thinking specifically about the prayer huddles, the prayer course, and then this series on the church, I can't help but wonder what is God preparing us for? And I can't wait to be part of the next chapter in the story of Freedom Church Liverpool. But enough of my musings and um, back to today. Over the past six weeks, God has been renewing and refreshing our thinking about what the church is. And today we ask the question, well, what's it all for? We live in a world that doesn't know God. Adam and Eve were the first, last and only people to hang out physically with God every day, to walk with him, to talk with him in the cool of the day. But then came the fall, or as John, John Walton describes it, and I prefer to think of it as the loss. When Adam and Eve opted to disobey God, to choose for themselves what's good and what's evil, we all lost something. We lost our relationship with our father. We lost the paradise that was our home. We lost our access to the tree of life, the antidote to death. After this, the people of Israel made God known to the world. And the world could work out God's character and his nature as they watched his interaction with and his relationship with the people of Israel. And then Jesus was born from the people of Israel. And while he walked the earth, Jesus, who was both God the Son and the Son of God, he made God known to the world by his words and by his actions, by what he did, by how he did it, by why he did it, and by who he was. But Jesus died. He was crucified. He died. He was buried. On the third day, he rose again, and he ascended back to heaven, where he still is today at the right-hand side of the Father. So today, it is the church that makes God known to men. It's the ecclesia the assembly of people that God called into existence, we called out of the world based on our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Based on our relationship with Jesus, God gives something of himself, a piece of himself to every believer, the Holy Spirit. So today, it's us. We make God known to the world by what we do, by how we do it, by why we do it, and by who we are. So that's no small thing. So just take a minute and just let that settle where it will. 
And I wonder how does that make you feel? Do you feel overjoyed or overwhelmed? Do you feel privileged or do you feel panicked? Do you feel burdened or do you feel battle ready? Well, let me try to settle you if you feel one way rather than the other, because there is a simplicity to being part of the Ecclesia. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 to 10 says this, and I'm going to read the message version because I'm partial to the message version. It says, but you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference that he has made for you from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Now the ESV version is much grander and it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now, you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So to proclaim means we announce publicly, we indicate it clearly, and we praise enthusiastically. And this, this we can all do. And we can do this with great gusto. We can proclaim God's excellencies. We can be his instruments in the world. We can speak out for him. We can tell everyone who's willing to listen the difference that he has made for us. We can proclaim our paternity to a fatherless generation. We can say God is alive and he is well. Thank you very much. He is our father and he is a good father. We can tell the world that we enjoy his presence and his peace and his power because of the person of Jesus. We can proclaim that we trust in his promises while we wait till all of his prophecy is fulfilled and for that coming final realization of the coming of the kingdom of God. Now we can do this. We can tell the world of the treasure that we found. So if your very next thought is, yeah, but I, I can do that by myself. I don't need to, to join a church. I don't need to be an active member in a church to be able to do that then let me tell you, there's nothing to talk about. God has taken a stand on this issue and his word about his church is very clear. There is absolutely no point in thinking we can skirt around it or convince ourselves that we are justified by our own personal circumstances to opt out of the church. There is no opt-out clause. God called a people, always, a people that he would bless and who in turn would be a blessing to all the families of the earth. There is something about the collective, the ecclesia, that assembly of God's people that makes something of God visible that that individual life is unable to do. C.S. Lewis says this, I believe in Christianity as I believe in this, that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. What is revealed in the collective that the world needs to see and know and understand about God? So let's think about that as we consider what it is that we do, 
how we do it, why we do it, and who we do it for. And the simple answer is we are Jesus' disciples. We do what Jesus did. And if we were to use Mark's gospel and we had to look at the things that Jesus did following just from after his baptism, we can see that in order of events, the first thing Jesus did was he proclaimed the good news of God. He said the time has come, the kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe the good news. Then he made disciples, he taught scripture, he drove out impure spirits, he healed many, he prayed, he preached, he forgave sins, he ate with sinners, he calmed storms, he restored the demon-possessed, he raised the dead, and he fed thousands. And that's still our mandate today. The last words Jesus said to his disciples was, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on people who are ill and they will all get well. There are other bodies in the world that are not the church. And they are feeding the hungry. They are setting the prisoners free. They are caring for the sick. But we are participating in the very mission of the triune God to restore the world and to help bring it to its final glorious purpose. If the world were never to see us exercising the authority that Jesus has given us, if the world were never to see us demonstrate the power that the Holy Spirit has given us, as we exercise our spiritual gifts, how will the world know that we worship El Shaddai? We worship the almighty and all-sufficient God. How will they know that we worship Jehovah Rophi, the Lord, our healer? How will they know that we worship Elohim, the mighty one? How will they know that we worship El Roy, the God who sees? How will they know we worship a God who is otherworldly, who is supernatural, who is not bound by the laws of nature, who is not fettered by the laws of man, but is able to do anything at any time? When Jesus took on our humanity, he could do all of these things all the time, anytime, every time. But we need a body. As a church, the Holy Spirit has equipped us all with different giftings. Some of us can heal, some of us have words of knowledge, some of us have increased measures of faith. But if you patch all of us together, each bringing our individual gifts, just surrendering to Christ as the head, we might very well be the closest thing to one Jesus that the world will ever see in our time. As a church, we are all at different stages in our walk with Christ. There are those like me who are still driving with our plates on when it comes to exercising our spiritual gifts. But there are others among us who are seasoned driving instructors. We need each other. We need each other to glorify God and for the salvation of the world. So Ecclesia, will you assemble? You don't know what you don't know. Until you see a murmuration, you can never know or be captivated by its hypnotic beauty. Until you see a clear starry night sky, 
you can never be overcome by just the vastness of its splendor. Until the world sees God's people working together, surrendered to Christ, with him at the head working as a body, how will the world see what a chosen people looks like? How will the world see what priestly work looks like? How will they know what a holy nation looks like? Until we walk in a manner that is worthy of our calling, until we walk and live with humility, gentleness and peace, bearing with one another, at peace with one another, united, not because we've got some code of conduct that we have to adhere to, otherwise we'll be kicked out, but because we know the forgiveness and the reconciliation of Jesus. How will the world see that we are one body with one faith, with one spirit, with one hope, with one Lord and one God who is over all and through all and in all? If we don't live differently to the rest of the world, if we don't live differently to the way we did before Jesus knew or called us, if we don't, aren't seen to, be, to speak to each other truthfully, not to be ruled by anger, to work diligently, to share with the needy, to be kind and compassionate to each other, not out of pretense, not out of posturing, not out of false piousness, but because we are new. How will the world see that we are created in the likeness of our Father, who is righteous and holy? Until we make it clear that there is no place in Jesus' body for sexual immorality, for envy, for deceit, for foolish talk, for crude joking, because we don't follow the world's example, because we follow God's example, how will the world see that we know the love of Jesus? Jesus who sacrificed himself for us. Until we do what is good and what is right and what is pleasing to the Lord, not because of some goody-goody two-shoes way of scoring points with God, but because we are light. How will the world see what we believe and who we believe in? A God who is good. Until we live wisely until we live with understanding the will of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, praising God with abandon, thanking God for everything and submitting to each other, not because we are the stupidest pushover mugs the world has ever seen, but because our confidence is in God, because we know that everything we have comes from God and everything we have is for God. Just like a human body only has one spirit that animates it, we are now one new corporate body, and we only have one spirit that animates us, and that is the Holy Spirit. We don't each have our own separate hopes. We have one hope. We are called together to eternal life and to enjoy God in resurrection glory, and we reflect that and we express that by the way that we live on this side of heaven, for God's glory and for the salvation of the world. His church is beautiful. Ecclesia, will you assemble? We are the Ecclesia. We are set apart for God. We serve at Almighty's pleasure and for his purpose, and his purpose is to save the world. We are set apart for God 
for a world that is dying, to extend Jesus' message of saving grace. We were never set apart to be a dead poet society. We were never set apart to host weekly book reviews of an ancient text. And if we track back through the Bible, you can see that as a people, God always intended for us to be his ambassadors in the world. When God created Adam and Eve, he blessed them and he commissioned them. He said, fill the earth, rule over it, subdue it. After humanity was reset by the flood, God blessed Noah and his sons. And God's commission to them was the same. He said, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, rule. When God called Abram to be the founder of the Israelite nation, God blessed him. And God promised that Israel would be a great nation, blessed by God, that would in turn be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. The Ecclesia today is the fulfillment of that promise of God to Abram about the people of Israel. So as we look at Israel, we can still, as the Ecclesia, learn something from the way God governed them. Israel was a theocracy. God was at the head of their nation. But God divided and delegated administrative power between a king, priests, and prophets. The king led the people in obedience to God. The priests represented the people to God. And the prophets represented God to the people. So today, as the royal priesthood, blessed and gifted with prophecy by the Holy Spirit, we serve all three of these functions. From our position of privilege as the Ecclesia, we extend Jesus' message of saving grace to the world for God's glory and for the salvation of the world. So, Ecclesia, will you assemble? And so having said all that, I want you to know I'm preaching to myself. Having said that, you know, on Mother's Day, my 17-year-old daughter said to me, Mommy, how is it that evil is so obvious everywhere in the world, but God is not so? And I thought, I need to get my bearings. And I thought, God has just got to give me a fresh revelation of what it means to be his church. God has got to give me a fresh revelation of my core identity, of my reason for being, that my life, my identity, my thoughts, my actions, my will, my praise centers around Jesus, flows from Jesus, but points back to Jesus. I need God to give me just a bigger vision that looks up and out past me and my needs, past my family's needs, to the needs of the city and to the needs of his world. I need God to rev up my sense of urgency because like the children's song says, the countdown is getting lower every day for Jesus' return. Or maybe you need to get your bearings too. Maybe we all need to get our bearings together. And so as we are really looking forward to, to getting together in the oh so very near future, maybe the first thing that we need to do is look back. There was a time when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus's reply was on this rock, I will build my church. And he meant on this acknowledgement 
of Jesus as the Christ and the Son of the living God on this confession, on this public declaration, on this relationship, on this rock, he would build his church. We are Jesus' church. So having looked back, maybe we need to come back to the heart of our worship and remember that it is all about Jesus so that we can then find our way forward to be more responsive, more attentive, more faithful in God's calling on us as a church. We are Jesus' church. We are his ecclesia. We are the assembly of people that God called into existence and out of the world by the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit for the sake of the whole world. So Ecclesia, will you assemble?